This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Well, we're going to continue our sermon series called Path to Victory. And this morning, we'll be focusing on John's first letter, uh, chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because... God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would show us your love. God, you are love. Love us and help us to experience that love and then let your love live out through us to one another. Lord God, I pray that we would hear your word this morning. I pray that we wouldn't just hear it, but then we would put it into practice and don't let anything I'm doing get in the way of the work of your spirit. Amen. I think we can all feel a battle going on in our culture, a battle for control and power in fact, it, it makes me feel like those, those images from the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, um, these great big powers, these political powers and, and social powers are, are personified as these great beasts that are coming out of the water and out of the land. And they're, they're warring for control and power. And I think we kind of feel like we're in the middle of that that kind of social and political power and struggle that's going on right now. And I think as Christians, we might be tempted to, to fight with the weapons of this world and try to enter into that battle. But I think the reason that we are fighting with um, the the weapons of this world of anger, of intimidation, of control is because very often we forget history. You see, 2,000 years ago, there was similar battles going on in culture and it was the big bad empire of Rome that was the great beast that was warring for power and control. And they were seen as their, their empire was expanding, that they were kind of becoming divided. And so any, anything that was not following the Roman way of life, they considered a threat. And so one of those threats were the, the Jewish people. The Jewish people were not following the Roman way of life and the Roman gods. And so the Romans attacked the Jewish people. And lots of the leaders, the Sanhedrin, uh, tried to fight back against Rome using worldly powers, and Rome wiped them out. In 70 AD, they destroyed the temple, and it's never been rebuilt. 
And then Rome uh, put their sights on Christians. Christians seemed to be another group that seemed to be a threat to the Roman way of life, the Roman Empire. And so they, they broke out uh, persecutions, uh, isolated persecutions. But the early Christians didn't fight back using weapons of this world. They didn't try to fight back using the same kind of weapons. Instead, what the early Christians did is they continued to practice the things that Jesus taught them. They continued to follow the Christian disciplines, the Christian practices, so that they could see victory through God's kingdom, this hidden kingdom. And because they followed these these practices, the Christian kingdom grew until it became critical mass. And by the time 313 AD came around, Constantine had no other choice but to legalize Christianity. So what were these these Christian practices that made the early church so resilient? What were these things that made them so strong? What was allowed them to win over the Roman Empire without ever lifting a sword? Well, here they are. This is what the early Christian church practiced. We find this in Acts chapter 2. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That means they devoted themselves to Scripture. And they devoted themselves to fellowship, which means the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So as we look at the early Christian church, we see that the early Christian church had had five practices, not just five, but these are the five main practices that the early church learned from Jesus. Jesus taught them these things and they continued to practice them. What were they? Number one, they gathered. They continued to gather in the temple courts to worship God together. Another Christian practice that Jesus taught them was they were in groups. They would, they would gather together in, in small groups from house to house, breaking bread and enjoying each other's fellowship. The other thing they did was growth, personal growth. They were devoted to the scriptures and they would, they were, they would give, give generously. They, they sold their possessions and gave to anyone who had a need. And finally, they listened to Jesus' mandate to go to go to all nations. And so the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Now, I think one of the the most difficult things about this pandemic is it has just totally disrupted any of our practices, any of our habits and routines. And so what we want to do with this sermon series is to go back to the early church and see the, these habits and routines that we need to continue to practice. And so we want to look at these five practices in this sermon series, and we're calling this the path to victory. These are the things that will allow us, with God's help and the help of the Spirit, to become more and more like Jesus. This is what's going to lead us to have victory in our own lives in some small way, victory as a church and victory in our communities without ever raising a sword. 
And so as you think about these five practices, maybe we could think of them as five buckets. Um, five buckets, and then as, as Christians, we say, I want to put something in each one of these buckets. I don't want to be legalistic about it, but I want to follow the example of what Jesus taught his early church and find a way to put something in each one of these buckets. It's like Pastor Bill talked last week about that first bucket, gather. Now, gathering today is going to look different than it did 2,000 years ago. In fact, it's going to look a lot different than it did a year ago, but we still have the need to gather, whether in person or online. We still have to gather. And then when it comes to groups, our groups are going to look different today than they did 2,000 years ago. It's going to look different than it did a year ago, but there's still a need to gather in groups. Personal Bible study in growth, that's going to look different than it did 2,000 years ago. It's going to look different than it did a year ago. Maybe we're going to grow by going to a, an app or, or following the YouVersion Bible app or, or reading digitally or watching a, a video or something like that. But we still have a need to go to Scripture for personal growth. Giving, giving might look differently uh, being generous and serving others is going to look differently than it does did it 2,000 years ago, but it's still needed. And then going, evangelism, how we interact with, how we extend the kingdom is going to look different today than it did 2,000 years ago, different than it did a year ago. But we still have a need for all of these practices. And so last week, again, Pastor Bill explain to us what it looks like to gather today and, and the need to gather. And we still have a need to go back to this spiritual practice. And, and although it's not common anymore to gather, uh, we still have this need to gather as a group of God's people. But today I'm going to talk about groups. Now, out of all the five spiritual practices, gathering in groups is probably one that's going to challenge us most here at Victory. It's one that's not going to be intuitive because, um, uh, because of three factors. There are three reasons that, that gathering in small groups are going to be difficult for us. And here's the first one. Small groups are not part of our Lutheran heritage. Now, uh, we have a background, as a, as a background in Lutheranism, and many of you grew up in Lutheran churches. And if you look at Lutheran churches in general, they usually don't have a large small group ministry. And there's a reason for that. It, it, it has to do with some of our history. And I don't know if how much you know about this. And I think it's just important for us to know something about where we came from. About 150 years ago, there was this idea as people were looking at the Lutheran church or saying um, they're going through a time of dead orthodoxy. They seem to be uh, dying or cold. And so there was this group about 150 years ago called the Pietists. This movement called Pietism um, that said we need to reawaken the spiritual, uh, we need to revive the spiritual health of the Lutheran church. And one of the methods that they used was small groups. Um, but the small groups were in opposition to the church. They would meet in small groups and lay, lay people would lead these small groups in opposition to the pastor and the congregation. And so for the last 150 years or so, Lutheran pastors have been very wary of giving lots of ministry over to lay people because of the, the bad experience of pietism. But it doesn't have to be that way. We can go back even farther to the early church and see how meeting in groups actually encouraged spiritual growth and actually led to the health of, of God's people. That's number one. That'll be a challenge for us if we have a Lutheran background. 
Number two, one reason that we struggle with small groups is we don't feel like we need them in the Midwest. I started my ministry in Orlando, Florida. And when I was in Orlando, Florida, I led a Spanish-speaking uh, congregation. Prediqué en español todos los domingos. I preached in Spanish every, every weekend. And, um, and then we had an English ministry as well. And you know what? In our congregation, we had people who were born in 40 different countries. And I didn't meet anybody except one person in Orlando who actually was born in Orlando. And so the church really was the family. Everybody came uh, together as a, a family of believers and to start small groups or ministry or get together, it was no big deal. Now I moved back to the Midwest and, and I have 50 family members who live in the Milwaukee area. And many of you have, have friends or many of you were born in this area. And so we already have um, our community. We already have our friends. We already have our family. And so it doesn't necessarily feel needed that we need a spiritual small group. But let me ask you, when you gather with your family and friends, are you guys pursuing Jesus? Do you, do you gather together for prayer and the breaking of bread and for fellowship? Are you pursuing becoming more and more like Jesus as you gather together? Probably not. And if you are, that's great. But if you're not, then you see there is a need for a spiritual small group, a, a community of believers. And then finally, small groups have not really been needed at Victory until now. When this church started, it was a small group. That's what it was. It was a small group that gathered in the home that we're living in now. Pastor Ben Kerr started it in, in that home. And then it got a little bigger and they went to Polonia soccer field. And then even when it moved to the movie theater, um, I remember preaching there when I was still at seminary and everybody was involved and got together and very close knit because you had to get together every day to, to set up um, for the worship service and tear down. And everybody was kind of like a family working together in the ministry but now since we've entered into this building, we've exploded with growth. I mean, there's about 600 plus people that call Victory its home. And many of you have come in here in the last year or so or a couple of years. And I, what I hear over and over again is, I just don't know anybody right now. And I just am not connected to each other. So now is the time where although it's not part of our, our, our history as a church, we haven't needed it. We need it now. We need it now. So I understand that, that just speaking about small groups, it might not be on your radar. It might not be something you think you need. And it's not really about something that we've done here as a major emphasis as a congregation, but I still think it's important because it was something that Jesus did in his own ministry. It was something that he taught his early church to do. And it's something I think is going to be very important for our congregation. And so here's the question I want to answer today is, how do groups lead us on a path of victory? How do groups lead us to be more and more like Jesus? And to answer that question, we're going to go to 1 John, a letter written by John. Now, John was one of uh, the people in Jesus' small group. Uh, Jesus, he preached to the thousands and he had a, a, a group of 12 disciples. But then he also had a small group, Peter, James, and John, that he really poured his, his time into. Jesus saw it valuable as he was saving the world to really focus on, on spending a lot of time with Peter, James, and John. And so as John spent time with him, he learned some of the most important things uh, in what Jesus thought were some of the most important things, and he writes about them in this letter. Now, he's writing as an old man, 
And he's had a time to think about what's most important. And, and John has this way beautifully of just boiling everything down to his essence. He boils everything down to what's most important. In fact, if you ever wanted to learn Greek um, to be able to translate the New Testament, uh, Starting in 1 John is a great place to translate because it's such simple language. It's such pure language. It's just so, so to the point. And so here's what John says. Dear friends, let us love one another. That's it. He boils down everything that it means to be a Christian. He says, this is what matters. Let's love one another. In fact, there is this um, ancient tradition that's not in the scriptures, but it's a tradition that, that, that many historians believe is accurate that John, when he was an old man, he was the only disciple, the only apostle that wasn't martyred. You know, the only one didn't die. He lived into his old age. That as an old man, they would wheel John into the congregation and sit him down. And these were the seven words that he would say, dear friends, let us love one another. End of sermon. And they wheel them out. Maybe you wish that sermons were a lot that short too, right? But that's what they would do. Because he would just say, this is what's most important. This is all he had to say. Dear friends, let's love one another. And Paul said something similar in 1 Corinthians. He says, what good is it if I preach in the tongues of angels if I don't have love? What good is it if I give all my money to the poor if I don't have love? What good is it if I hand my body over to the flames for persecution if I have not love? I'm nothing. And the same thing is true. What good is if, you know, we got a great building, got great music, we got okay preaching, right? If we don't have love, love is the most important thing. If everything we're doing doesn't lead to love, it doesn't mean anything. Why is love so important? John goes on to explain. He says, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. Augustine talked about this, that the reason we can say God is love is because God is a triune God. He, the, in the way Jesus talks about it too, Jesus says, I've always been loving the Father and the Father has always been loving me. That the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in this eternal small group of love. This eternal community of love. And God is welcoming you into that community. Uh, when we love, it shows that we've been born of God. It's what we were always designed to do. Maybe we could say it this way. Legos have been designed not to be thrown, not to be kicked. Legos are a toy that were designed to connect with one another. And, and they can't connect with a hundred different Legos, but there's enough notches on each piece of Lego that they can connect with one, another Lego or three or four other Legos. But Legos were designed to connect to one another. You are a Lego. God designed you to connect with one another. Now, you can't connect with all 600 people that call victory its home, but you have been designed to connect with a few other people on a deeper level to connect with one another. That's how God designed you, to love one another. And that's what makes solitary confinement such a horrible form of torture. 
because we were not designed to be alone. And that's what makes this pandemic so excruciating is we were not designed to be stuck behind our screens. We were designed by God to connect with other human beings to love one another. Now, what is love? John goes on to explain it. He says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love that God, not not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. So this is how God showed his love. He came down. He became one of us and connected with us. Jesus came down. He sent his son as a sacrifice. That's what love is. He says, this is love. Not that we love God. Not that we love God because our love is so fickle. We, we love things that are lovable. I love chocolate because it's taste, right? I love watching a good movie because it's entertaining. I love sports because I love watching how they play. I love things because they're lovable. That's how human love is. Our love is fickle. But God's love is not like that. God doesn't love us after we become lovable. He doesn't love us because we're lovable. He loves us and then he, his love takes action. His love is a verb. In fact, there's a couple different Greek words that he could have used in here. Um, there's a, a Greek word phileo that means a friendship kind of love, like a mutual partnership kind of love. There's eros is another Greek word that means that kind of passionate erotic love. And then there's agape, which is, I'm, is a love that takes action, a love that does something for somebody else, a love that sacrifice. And that's what Jesus did. He loved you and me because he saw how messed up we are. And he saw us not after we became lovable, before we came, became lovable, before we loved, before we did anything that was deserving of love. He acted, he came down, he made a sacrifice and he atoned for all of our sin. Atone is another word. You see it in atone, at one with. He made us at one with God. He brought us back together with God. And so then John makes this application. He says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Since God showed agape to us, he, he, he acted and loved us and made a sacrifice, so also we need to act or we ought to act, follow his example, motivated by his love, empowered by his spirit, and make a sacrifice. And as I look at, at the different things that we could do as a congregation, I think the sacrifice we need to make is to connect with a life group, a small group. As our church gets bigger, we need to get smaller. We need to find ways to love one another. I think one of those ways that we can love one another is connect with a life group. Now we're calling these life groups. In the past, we called them small groups. And the reason is, I hope it's not just semantics. I hope you see that what we're trying to do is we want to do life together. We want, to, we want our lives to be transformed as we're present with one another and, and love one another. And, and we act again, we connect with a few people at a deeper level. Now, like I mentioned, groups today are going to be different than groups were 2,000 years ago. The early church met together every day in their homes. And they broke bread together every day in their homes. We're not doing that today, Right? So, so our small groups, our life groups, will they look different than they had 2,000 years ago? They might look different than they were a year ago here at Victory. 
And so many of our life groups are, are going to be meeting in person, but outside or, or in person, but social distance. And some of our life groups are going to meet only via Zoom. But, and, and many of them are going to be following the spiritual practices that we learn in the sermon and in the week to try to continue to live more and more like Jesus. So we're hoping that, that we can say, you know what? I want to love one another. I want to take this next step. And if you're ready to take that next step, here's how you do it. Uh, just to kind of help explain, you go to VOTL.life. There is this card for groups at victory. You can click on that groups at victory. And you can see all of the different groups that are available and when they meet and where they meet and how they meet. And some of you are also involved in either the men's or women's mentoring. That can also be your life group as well. And maybe you looked at this and you say, you know what, but there's no one who meets. You know, some of you are watching online across the country. Some of you are driving from long distances. There's nobody that meets with me at my time and in my group or my area or or meets my needs. Well, then I want to encourage you, start your own life group. Start your own life group. Um, Why don't you... uh, I'll show you how to start your own. Gather with a couple other friends to pursue Jesus and follow the spiritual practices. And I know for many of us, this is not how we grew up going to church. If you grew up in the church, you probably uh, didn't grow up thinking about life groups. You didn't think that this was needed. The pastor did all the ministry. The pastor did all the, the gathering. The pastor did all the work. And so this is a, something totally different. And, and you think, I already have my social group. I already have my family and friends. I don't really need this. So I know that this is going to be a challenge for many of us, but I really want you to encourage you to consider it. And here's why. John tells us what it looks like when we make it this sacrifice and love one another. He says, No one has ever seen God. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We can't see God, but John says there's a way that we can experience him. Yeah, maybe you feel like you experience him when, when we um, worship and, and, and sing music and there maybe there's a song that really touched you. And, and, and yeah, that's one way, I guess, to experience God. But, but John says, every time we love one another, God lives in us. And the way he becomes, the invisible God becomes visible as we love one another. And it says, and his love is made complete in us. Literally, it means his love reaches its goal. When we love each other, we are doing the thing that we were designed to do. God's love is reaching its goal in us as we love one another. This is really needed, especially today. We are such a divided nation, a divided people. Everybody is secluded behind their own screens and it's causing all sorts of problems all over the world. And we're seeing over and over again people getting angry and fighting for power and control and all these things happen. I'm seeing Christians get all caught up trying to use the same kind of weapons to fight these battles, uh, weapons of anger and frustration and fear and intimidation and jumping on all these social things and trying to fight for power and control. But if we use weapons of this world, we're going to lose like everybody else. And so let's do what the early church did. Let's listen to what Jesus taught us. Let's follow those Christian 
practices. Let's recognize how we were designed. We were designed to connect to one another. God loved you. He loves you. He came down and connected with you. And he's designed you to be like a Lego. So dear friends, let's love one another. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, throughout this pandemic, so many of our habits and routines have just been destroyed. And so, Lord God, we want to know what are we supposed to do every day? What are our new spiritual habits and routines? Lord God, help us to go back to your word and find what the early church did, find what your people have been doing for thousands of years. Help us to reestablish those healthy habits so that you can walk with us and we can walk with you. Lord God, nothing else matters. You told us nothing else matters that, except that we love one another. We can't do this without your spirit. So give us your Holy Spirit and lead us to love one another. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.